Hello and welcome back to Kindled. I am so excited to bring you this conversation today with Dr. Ernie Baker. We are discussing trauma-informed care and also the book, The Body Keeps the Score, which has become wildly influential in um, modern psychology, just in pop culture, even really just among readers. People love this book. People are um, eating this book up to understand how trauma affects our body and our mind and our brain and all of all of that. Dr. Ernie Baker has some very, very, very fascinating things to say about it, and you will not want to miss this conversation. Uh, I learned so much, and um, yeah, I I can't say anything else because I'll just give it all away. But um, other than that, I want to let you know about a couple updates. Um, As always, appreciate you leaving five-star reviews on the podcast if you have not done that. Um, And I am running a giveaway for anyone who leaves a review in the month of August. I'm giving away $100 to Crossway Books, as well as um, a t-shirt and a coffee mug from my store of your choice that you can find at kindlepodcast.com. So if you leave a review, take a screenshot of that review when you are leaving it, when you're like typing it right before you submit it, and send me a screenshot of it to my DMs on Instagram at Haley.Kindled, and I will enter you to be in this contest to win $100 across way and then the free t-shirt and mug from my store of your choice, okay? So that's all you have to do. Just leave a review and send me a screenshot on Instagram at Haley.Kindled. If you do not have Instagram or you don't use Instagram, you can also email me the screenshot at Haley, H-A-L-E-Y, at KindledPodcast.com. That's my email. Okay, so um, I'm excited because I don't really, I don't talk a whole lot about reviews, but they do help so much, and it's so easy and simple and fast for you to do, and there you go. You're going to get $100 to Crossway, so you can order a new Bible or book or Bible study, whatever you're in need of, and um, get some new merch from my store. Okay, that's all I have for the introduction, so here we go. All right, so today on Kindled, I am chatting with Dr. Ernie Baker. Dr. Baker, thank you so much for being here today. I'm very grateful to be able to talk with you. So um, I'm excited for this conversation. We're going to be talking about uh, what the Bible has to say about issues of trauma. Um, And you have a lot of experience in this area. But before we hop in, I'd love for you to share a little bit about yourself with listeners. Tell us who you are and what you do. Well, the most important thing is that I'm married to a wonderful woman named Rose, and we've been married 42 years and have been in ministry 42 years. Um, And the ministry has been kind of split or combined between pastoral ministry and being a a professor at the Master's University. Uh, Right now, I'm mainly back in pastoral ministry and then secondarily a professor at the Master's University uh, focusing on t- training and counseling, and um, been doing that both roles for a long time. I'm at First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, and I help oversee the counseling. We have a very robust uh, counseling ministry at First Baptist, and forty. I think we have 42 counselors right now, and uh, I help oversee all the counselors and mentor them and train them and train lay people in counseling. So doing that at Masters and at First Baptist Church. So that's that's what I do. That's awesome. And so you're located in Florida, but 
you uh, are a professor virtually for master's? Yep. And okay. and go out there. I'll be out there next week. So I'm okay. thankful I can go out and be on campus sometimes, but mostly it's online okay. uh, training. I chair the online uh, uh, undergraduate online degree, and we have a very um, lot of students in our online undergraduate biblical mm-hmm. counseling degree. That's really cool. Yeah. I mentioned off air, my pastor is a graduate of master's and uh, that was something that drew us to the church actually, when we found that out. So um, thankful for all the, all the work that's being done there. Um, so getting into this conversation, you know, we're, we're talking about something that is a really sensitive topic, obviously um, trauma and uh, traumatic experiences that people undergo where they need help. They uh, need help to process things, to understand how to think about what has happened to them whatever that may be. Um, and I think before we get started, I think it would be helpful to hear what is your background um, and your kind of experience in dealing with uh, these types of cases? Hmm. Thanks for asking that. So uh, the way I think about that is we live in a very broken world and the Bible makes sense of that reality of why we live in a very broken world. And uh, As I mentioned before, I've been doing pastoral ministry for 42 years, and my whole ministry, I have not just been a preacher and teacher, but I've walked alongside of very broken situations. I've taken counseling seriously right from the beginning and then have specialized in it more probably the last uh, 30 years. But uh, some of the occurrences that come to my mind are... uh, being with family members when their police officer husband died suddenly and being with them all night long. Um, I felt like I could have a whole team of chaplains with me. I was with them all night long as they were wailing and moaning in their living room and mm-hmm. 15 family members and one pastor. Um, I've been with people as they've died. Um, I was with a man when I and had to tell him that his dump truck that he was driving had killed a woman when he went over the median and hit her head on. Um, and then probably my biggest experience, and there's many other normal pastoral ministry type stories, but my biggest experience with dealing with horror and trauma was back during the Virginia Tech massacre, which is still the largest uh, school shooting, unfortunately. Um just horrible situation. And I had the blessing privilege of leading 15 biblical counselors to be on campus for uh, 10 days after the event and just try to care for people and minister to people. We had hundreds and actually hundreds of conversations with individuals. And this isn't the topic of our discussion, but uh, we've never seen Americans more open to the gospel. Uh, We did not get any pushback at at all. People were searching for answers as they were kind of wandering around in shock of what happened and just really good ministry. Uh, Most recently, we've had a lot of domestic abuse cases at our church uh, right during COVID. I think I've counted somewhere between 20 and 25, and uh, one in particular is just absolutely horrific and uh, just have walked alongside of that woman and her children as she's gone through deep, deep, deep pain and affliction. Hmm. Man, that's a lot. That's, it's heavy. 
I'm thankful there are people like you to, you know, step towards that and bring biblical truth and hope to it. Um, you know, you kind of referenced this, that people were the most open to, you know, the gospel in those types of scenarios. Is that something that you would say you've seen over the course of your counseling that, that people in traumatic experiences who have had those, those things they're working through are, are, are open to, to hearing that message? Very much so because their worldview is not working. You know, their, their perception, their lenses that they look at life is, Mm -hmm. is broken and it's just not working at that time. So people are, you know, humans are interpreters. We're always trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong with me, you know, what's going on in the world. And so at Virginia Tech, people were just, you know, why wasn't I killed? Why was my friend killed? And why wasn't I killed? And why mm-hmm. Blacksburg, Virginia? And those were mm-hmm. common questions. So people were just trying to figure out reality and we had answers we could give them. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for sharing your experience. Um, I think that obviously speaks to the fact that you're not just coming at this from a sanitized, you know, academic uh, or licensed you know, I, I'm an ACBC counselor. I I have all the right answers type perspective. You've actually been in the trenches with people. You have, you have had to counsel them. You have had to um, get bring wise counsel in the times and the moments where it matters the most. Um, and I know in, from previous interviews that I've done on this topic, um, our own uh, one of the ACBC counselors at our church said that you know she had done research or not she had done research. She had read studies that showed that actually what made the biggest difference for people in um, times of need, when, when they needed help, they needed outside voices, was having someone someone who cared about them, someone who was able to speak the truth to them. It was not so much the letters behind the name, you know, that mm-hmm. actually made the difference. It was really about having support, having people who care about you, who are willing to go through it with you, be, be there with you, even if they can't completely remove you from that experience, you know, they can't undo the past completely, but, um, or at all, but really just having a, a friend there. And, and I think that, you know, we'll get into that, but I, I think that that is what, what I hear from your experiences too, is, is that, that, uh, that's how you were able to help people is, is to be a voice, be a, a shoulder to cry on and and someone to be there for them in those times. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's the one another's of the new Testament. Right. Right. So that's maybe a good segue. What does the Bible have to say about issues of trauma? You know, I, I know we don't see the word trauma in scripture, right? But um, does the Bible have anything to say to this topic? I think it's all over the place. Um, I mean, just starting with the gospel, the most horrific event in human history and world history is the cross and what Jesus endured and the horror that he went through, the betrayal that he went through, the um, mocking. Uh, So when I can walk alongside of a counselee and show them that their Jesus understands He's a high priest that is not removed from their deep pain and sorrow. And we'll talk about this a little bit later, but I don't necessarily want to start with secular understandings. I want to start with, okay, what does the Bible say about this subject? So I think of uh, 
in the Bible is there a category not just of suffering, but of deep suffering, of deep affliction? And the answer is yes. And then if I start from that premise, okay, what does the Bible say about deep affliction? I start, I see it in a lot of places. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians talking about how many times he was shipwrecked and beaten and stoned. And I've wondered, how did Paul survive? I mean, how was he sane? And then I think of David and David in the Psalms. Why do we love the Psalms so much? Well, David went through horrific suffering even being betrayed by his son who tried to lead a coup against him. So I could go on and on, but uh, people in the Bible, the, the Bible is not naive about deep affliction and horror, which raises, raises the question then, which I know we're going to talk about is then how does the Bible say, what do you do to help people who are going through deep affliction and horrific suffering. And there's a lot to say there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's, that's a great way to, to start this is, you know, does it have a category for that? And yes. And, and we see that in the cross because not only was just the means of his execution so horrific and uh, the most painful way to die, but the spiritual element of him actually bearing the guilt for uh, you know, the wrath of God really being poured out on him. Mm -hmm. I mean, none, none of us can even conceptualize of what that was. And, and we obviously see evidence of that in him sweating blood, right? In the Garden of Gethsemane and just the immense amount of, you could say, trauma that he was going through um, in that entire, that entire experience. Um, and I guess, you know, my mind always goes to, again, I, not, I don't want to jump us ahead, but it always goes to, if we are saying here today that, you know, we need this tool or that tool in order to deal with the difficulties of life, we are then saying like Jesus didn't have what he needed back then, you know, 2000 some odd years ago, or the the Christians, the, the followers of Christ, those that we see the accounts of in scripture who underwent horrific things, you know, obviously losing children and, um, uh, loved ones and adultery and all these things that they did not have what they needed either. We are the ones we have the tools and it's just such a self-centric view of the world to say that, no, just today in the 21st century is the first time that we have uncovered the research and the data to be able to deal with, you know, all of the, all of the sin in the world and the evil that we see around us. It's, it's just, I, I think when you put it that way, it's like, well, do is that really what they believe? I'm not sure, but um, that it just seems preposterous to me. Yeah. And it, it tells you something. If you have that view, it tells you something about the character of God, which I, I can't get my, I would not be able to get myself to believe because of what I believe about who the God of the Bible is and that he has left his people for thousands of years without help and hope and answers. Right. And uh, that's not a, that's mm -hmm. not the beautiful God of the Bible who says in through Peter, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, or Psalm 19 through David, that the law of the Lord's perfect for soul restoration. Mm -hmm. And so I don't like the view of God that, that that type of thinking would paint. Yeah, totally. So um can you compare and contrast how secular psychology approaches trauma with a counselee versus biblical counseling? Uh, 
just a little bit of background. So I teach, I've, I've taught all kinds of classes in counseling, but one of them is theology of counseling. And the when this whole thing started to really get popular, trauma-informed counseling, a couple of years ago, I picked up on, oh boy, this is the buzzword. And since I'm a professor and I chair a degree program, I thought I, I've got to understand what's going on here. So I started doing in-depth uh, reading. Uh, I have friends who are psychologists. I'll mention a little bit later when we talk about uh, the body keeps the score. Um, I have a friend who's a neuropsychologist researcher and uh, we've spent hours talking about the theories and approaches and I've been doing reading and I've been listening to podcasts mm. and uh, discussing these things with psychologists. So I really have wanted to be informed and it's it's been my research interest uh, for probably two years now to really dig into this this subject. The There's a, a real... Uh, kind of simple way to get at this would be, I think your listeners probably understand this from listening to your podcast. There's worldview issues at stake here mm -hmm. and a secular psychological worldview versus a biblical worldview can be pretty radically different. Mm -hmm. And so I'm approaching this from a biblical worldview, secular. Uh, my goodness, there's so many theories about trauma. This is I was just reading last night that PTSD, other than disassociative identity disorder in the DSM, uh, PTSD is the most controversial subject in among clinicians and researchers that they don't even all agree uh, on the topic. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of approaches. Uh, I'll get a little technical here. What is the etiology of the problem? So what's really going on? What do you believe is the source of the problem? And then depending on what you believe the source of the problem is, you come up with different solutions to solve the problem. And then you develop methodologies to help solve the problem. And there are so many different schools. Uh, I was trained by a, a man named David Pallison. And uh, David taught us to think don't use the term psychology, use the term psychologies, that it's not like biblical counseling versus psychology. It is, right. there are psychologies and they have different views of humans, uh, et cetera. And they do apologetics with each other. They write articles against each other and mm -hmm. uh, et cetera. So there's a whole plethora of views out in the secular world of what's wrong, what's going on with trauma. Generally speaking, in the secular world, they're going to say something's going on in the brain. Uh, Vander Kolk in his book is kind of an extreme view of that. Others in the secular world don't agree uh, with him. So there's something going on in the brain. He would say it's permanently impacting the person. And there's a lot of implications to that. And then in his book, he has all kinds of methodologies to help people deal with it. Biblically, I can I can approach this two different ways. I can I can look at the secular research and I put on my biblical eyeglasses with the secular research and I say, okay, what are the common areas that they see are issues? Now, how does the Bible address that issue? Mm -hmm. I think the even better way is to start with the Bible and say, biblical category, horrific suffering, horror, 
how do people in the Bible deal with horror and deep affliction and horrible suffering? Now, what does the Bible say to deal with horror in your life? So my biblical worldview, my biblical lens um, shapes the way I think about ministering to people who are going through horror uh, in their, their life. That doesn't mean I ignore the secular research and observations. I, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm really intrigued by neuro, uh, neuroscience and neuropsychology. And uh, I'm very interested in what's going on in the brain, but I, I want to, I want to understand that even researchers, the Bible would say their, their understanding has been darkened. We call it the noetic effect of the fall. Mm-hmm. And so even the way they interpret things can be skewed because of biases, uh, et cetera. I've said a lot there, but uh, that's that's basically how I would contrast the two. I want to interrupt this episode to take a second to tell you about my newest sponsor, and that is ACBC. ACBC stands for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Now, it will probably be no surprise to you that I am a big fan of ACBC. Our church has an ACBC counseling center, multiple certified ACBC counselors, and this organization is doing such good and important and necessary and God-honoring work in churches all across the country. Every Christian is a counselor. It's just a matter of being a skilled or unskilled one. ACBC exists to help fill churches with skilled biblical counselors that rightly understand and apply God's Word to the countless problems of life. Their certification process is designed to teach right theology and how to apply it in Phase 1 training and Phase 2 exams, and then requires counselors to put what they learn into practice in Phase 3 supervised counseling. There are hurting people all around us that need true hope and healing, which can only be found in Christ and the Bible. Visit biblicalcounseling.com today to start your journey to become the kind of counselor that God calls all believers to be. Learn more at biblicalcounseling.com. Yeah, man, there's so much that you said that uh, was really, really uh just interesting especially that that psychology versus psychologies that makes a lot of sense and that kind of is just a more honest way to express what we're comparing and contrasting we're contrasting with the biblical worldview of mankind and sin and evil and suffering in the world which is cohesive you know it is one mm-hmm. view that is rooted in an, a document and uh, that was inspired by God himself and that is unchanging and absolutely true. And most Christians, um, most, you know, real Christians and, and hopefully most Christians would agree even with that. And yet there seems to be kind of a disconnect in what we we say we believe this absolutely true, inerrant, infallible. Not, I know not everybody agrees with that these days, but we we here do. Um, this book that it somehow has kind of nothing to do with like our real world experiences, mm-hmm. you know, somehow it it's like, yeah, that's really great over here for my spiritual growth on Sunday and Wednesday night. But when it comes to how to deal with what I experienced as a child or, you know, finding out my husband cheated on me or has a porn addiction or um, that I lost my brother, you know, to alcoholism, like when it comes to dealing with those things, 
I need a professional. I can't, you know, the Bible doesn't speak to that. And I hear all the time, you know, the Bible's not a science book. The Bible's not, um, you know, a recipe book. It's, it's, it doesn't give you a prescription for what, how to, how to deal with a headache. It doesn't deal with all these like physical realities that we face. Um, and, and that's kind of just this, this, um, what I think a lot of people use to discredit it in these types of scenarios. But, um, yeah, how you explained that, like not, you're, you're not getting rid of everything that the world studies and, and discovers, but you're understanding that in light of what we know about ourselves in light of the fall, in light of how God made us, the effect of sin. Um, it made me think of actually the passage in first Corinthians six, one through eight, when Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he is telling them that, uh, they're engaging in these like lawsuits against believers and they're making a mockery really of themselves in front of, you know, the city of Corinth, which is godless. And he says, you know, it would be better for you to be uh, defrauded. Like, why not rather be defrauded? Because to engage in a lawsuit at all is to uh, have already lost. And mm -hmm. he says, like, do you not know that you will judge angels? And essentially mm -hmm. what he's saying there is that even the unlicensed, right? Not technically, he's saying these, these petty lawsuits should not be bring, uh, being brought before a pagan court because even the unlicensed, unprofessional Christian who's had their mind transformed by the gospel um, and been made new is more qualified to give right judgment to these cases than the godless pagan licensed professional. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's what he's saying. And I'm not saying there's an equal comparison here, but that is what that is what he's explaining really is that you are going to one day judge angels judge angels and you have been given this authority you have been given the ability to see things as they really are um by the light of god's word and so why are you kind of turning to the world to tell you what's what you know and and that's mm -hmm. kind of how i how i'm understanding what you're talking about here yeah i like to say we have truth in a world of theory yeah. And um, Al Mohler from Southern uh, Seminary, he says, we've always Christians have been people of the book. You know, we are we are people of the book. And if we don't have the Bible, we don't have a belief system. And I've really staked my whole adult life on being a person of the book. And I want to but I've been passionate about how do I help people take the living word of God and apply it not just theoretically, but apply it to the reality of life with all of its joys, pain, sorrow, suffering, uh, which I believe that's how conf relational conflicts, I believe that's how God wants us to use the Bible. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about, you know, how, how you would handle a trauma case, I guess. Um, and, and whether those need to be handled differently than um, uh, any run-of-the-mill counseling um, approach, I guess. Um, what What is your approach to dealing with um, a trauma case since this is your area of expertise? And I, I'm also, I got very uh, just grateful that God kind of interested you in this two years ago because now, we, you know, people like me who are not in that professional world at all, but are starting to kind of be downstream from the conversation and hearing you know, as I was telling you before we hit record, hearing this conversation get unpacked online and um, different places, seeing all of these 
arguments against, you know, biblical counseling made from this trauma-informed perspective and really seeming to discredit any other approach than a secular one to these problems. Um, it's I'm really grateful that you've that you've um taken an interest in this and, and done the research you have. But yeah, how do you handle trauma cases differently? Or do you? Yeah, very much so. Uh just a little, just to tell you how weird I am. So I've been interested in this subject for since I was a child. And as I've been doing writing on it, I'm doing a lot of writing on the topic right now and just different venues, et cetera. And uh, we had a man, I grew up in Westminster, Maryland, and we had a man who was a World War I veteran who would walk the streets of Westminster and he even in the hot July days he'd be wearing his World War One army trench coat and he had this long dirty beard and I asked my dad one day who is that man and he said oh that's that's Piercy uh, he is shell-shocked and I just have that vividly in my mind of and I've wondered through the years what happened to Percy you know what why was he like that and then um, I've been a student grew up near Gettysburg so I've been a student of the American Civil War just as a hobby for years. And I those guys saw horrific things. And I've just puzzled that in my brain for a long time of how did they survive? What happened to those men? They, I mean, I won't even go into the details of what happened and what they horrific things they 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 saw. So I think of deep suffering transitioning to how do you handle this? When I'm picking up one in counseling, I have somebody who's having panic attacks. They are full of guilt and shame. They uh, are not sleeping well, uh, maybe having flashbacks and um, maybe even night terrors. And I start hearing these things come out, maybe suicidal tendencies. And I, I start hearing these things come out in counseling anger um and i'm i'm in my mind i'm thinking okay what has happened to this person and all biblical counselors love one another is the most often repeated command in the new testament so if a biblical counselor is not loving they're just violating a, a basic command of, of scripture and my demeanor toward these people is compassion i'm to have a heart of compassion which in greek means to be moved deeply so i'm i'm to be moved deeply for people going through pain and suffering and terror in their lives that means i'm going to have to be very patient with them there's going to be a lot of crying we joke at our counseling center that uh, we buy stock in kleenex companies uh, because every counseling table has boxes of tissues we should expect people are crying that means there's times when they can't get out what they're trying to articulate because of what has happened to them. So I have to be a patient counselor. I have to be hope giving. These are hopeless people. Uh, they're wondering what's going on. Am I always going to be this way? Am I ever going to have joy in life again? And so we train all of our counselors that hope is extremely important, that we want to minister hope and our worldview, like no other worldview, ministers hope to people. So that's the demeanor I think of as a counselor that I need to approach, how I pick up on what's going on. Something has happened in this person's life. I need to 
ask a lot of questions and find out what's the story here. Even our one of our basic data gathering tools is called Story. Uh, I want to hear your story. Mm-hmm. And we spell it S-T-O-R-E-E, but what's the story? And I want to hear the person's story, be very kind, loving, patient, and then minister hope and the word of God to that pain and suffering. So yes, very much I would, as soon as I pick up on that something horrific has happened to this person, I've got to slow down and do good data gathering and then give lots of hope using the word of God. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious. So what's the acronym? What's story stand for? Oh, uh, so S is the situation. So what's the circumstances? T is their thinking. What's going on in their mind? What do they dwell on? O is how are others involved? How is this impacting other people? The R is how are they responding or reacting? E is emotions. What are the main emotions that are coming out during the, uh, because of these circumstances? And then the last E is what are their expectations? What are they wanting? What are they hoping for? What are their desires? And uh, that just gives me a good starting place uh, when I'm starting a, a new counseling case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's great. That sounds sounds like all of us could benefit from walking through that with a lot of things in life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I'm definitely a believer that that counseling is not just for those in in traumatic circumstances. You know, um, of right. course, I think counseling. You know, as we mentioned earlier, it's the one and others. It's it is building the body up in truth, and um, some people just need it in a more acute way at different points in their life, obviously, than others. But um, but I, I think we're all always counseling, right? We're always counseling ourselves too, um, as far as what is true. And uh, the Ursula McCarthy said. Um, what was her quote, man? She said, uh, you are, you are always, um, it was a Paul David Tripp quote she was referencing. And now my mind is blanking. We are all always, uh, preaching to ourselves. The question is like, what are we preaching? I think was, was mm-hmm. something to that effect, uh, whether you're preaching yourself the truth or a lie. Um, yeah. So regarding you, you obviously do handle trauma cases differently. The second part of that question was, I guess I would like to hear your thoughts on how, how you would think about the brain. And you said you have an interest in neuroscience, but that's one of the lines and and kind of the arguments that's coming um, from the secular side. And even some in the Christian kind of integrative uh, therapy world would say that the brain actually gets rewired by trauma and thus has to be rewired um, to heal. And so there, that's kind of from my very lay person understanding why there's this, that's, that's one of the lines that I feel like is most effective in arguing for a secular approach, because if, if we can detach, you know, uh, healing from, it's not just spiritual, it's not just mental. There's this physical component that has to be understood by doctors and people who are, you know, able to understand the brain, then we can kind of, say that the Bible can't help us with that, right? That it's Mm -hmm. like, it's out of bounds for the type of healing that we can find in scripture, because this is not just a normal person. This is not just a normal brain. This is someone who's had complete change in their brain that, that now can't be dealt with the way that you and I could. Right. So, um, so I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. 
So there's a whole lot there. I mean, it could mm-hmm. be multiple podcasts just talking about that I know, issue. I know. But uh, so I think there's a non sequitur there. So just because there's a secular observation does not, and even I can admit, and I'll get to this in a moment, there I can admit there's truth to that secular observation that the brain changes. That does not follow, so it's a non sequitur that there has to be a secular solution. And so is there truth to the science that something happens to the brain? Now, even in the secular world, and I don't want to get too technical here, but even in the secular world, there's not agreement as to whether that's permanent or not. Uh, many in the secular world would say it's not permanent. There's a lot of uh, research on what's called neuroplasticity. So the brain is malleable and the praise God that God made us so that the brain can rewire and new neurons. The brain's amazing. New neurons can be created. New neural pathways can be created. But before we talk further about this, there's something I need to say about neuroscience in general, and that is it's a pioneer science. And experts in the area tell me, so again, I have a friend who's a researcher, and he says there's more that we don't know than what we know. Mm. And so many different claims are being made about the brain right now. So if something sounds spectacular, you ought to put a big question mark behind it right now. And just to be a discerning person, and there's a lot of spectacular claims being made about the brain. But with that being said, Mm -hmm. there has been a lot of research on trauma. There is good evidence that something happens in the brain with combat, rape, etc. But as the term that's used is neurogenesis, how does neurogenesis occur? Do I have to use secular means to accomplish neurogenesis? And I believe the answer is no, because scripture talks about be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be renewed, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I firmly believe that people singing truth, meditating on biblical truth, hearing biblical truth can change neural pathways Uh, They don't have to go through EMDR or whatever the secular methodology is to accomplish their rewiring of of the brain. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I agree with you. I'm I think that's that's fills me with hope. You know, I don't know what listeners are thinking, but to hear that, yes, scripture and God's word, really what what we're what we're talking about is the very words of our creator. That's what that's what we're saying. I mean, I just want to remind people like we're not just talking about one book versus another. We're not just comparing resources, right? Like we are talking about the very words of God um that is the primary means that we have to know him being effectual for our transformation, both in our salvation, our sanctification, you know, all of these ways that God uses his word to change us to bring us hope to bring healing. Um, and if I, I guess I, my mind always goes back to like, if he can bring a spiritually dead person to spiritual life, 
That's right. Why why can he not rewire a pathway in your brain, right? Like, yes. is that not a smaller thing for him? That seems to me that it seems to, to reason that if he can do that, um, we should not be so, I guess, short-sighted or, or just kind of have such a low view of God that he's not able to heal your the 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 part of your brain that is damaged or has been changed in some way uh by that trauma that that his word is not powerful enough for that um yeah. amen so, <laughs> yeah the, the premise of secular research is something is not true until until it is empirically proven right well we believe that the bible is true just because god said it's true and yeah. That's just the premise of biblical counseling. Hmm. Many people would say empirically we could prove that the Bible's not true. Well, right. does that mean Christians are going to abandon the Bible? I'm not going to abandon the Bible even if all the scientists in the world right. prove that it's empirically not true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point because I mean, really, and where that's another question is like, where do you stop believing or saying that, you know, hey, you're the authority here, you're the authority here. Where do you draw the lines, right? If the Bible's the authority here in this category, in this section, in this sector, but then over here we've got, you know, as though a medical doctor or a neuroscientist, um, neuro researcher or whatever is able to achieve a greater level of knowledge and understanding. And so thereby they're the authority over here. What I'm not trying to do is pit and say that science disagrees with the Bible because it doesn't, you know, all truth is God's truth, but rather to say that ultimately we have to view this as like a tiered reality as though, you know, all, all truth is God's truth. And so anything that brain researchers discover about the brain is true because that's how God created the brain. It's not mm -hmm. as though that that is at odds with the Bible. Like it can't be, we can't have, God is not at odds with himself. And so his word cannot contradict his creation and how he's made us. Um, I think if we understand that, then it uh, it just kind of solves some of those problems of, well, who do I believe? It's like you you shouldn't even be asking that. You know, the only one to believe is is ultimately God. And if you see something, if you hear something, if you learn something that goes against His Word, you should be asking questions about that thing. You should be, like you said, being discerning, going, you know, anything man can observe about creation. It doesn't mean he's not going to observe things, but they are going to be like, like you mentioned, um, through a, through a mere dimly, they're, they're going to be sometimes wrong, clouded, a little bit off, skewed, distorted. Like we don't have perfect, clear vision of everything or, or really anything, you know? And, and that's why scripture says that it's a, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Um, so you mentioned EMDR and I want to, I want to stop on that for just a second, because that is an area that, um, you know, I have Christian friends, um, family members who I know have used that method. Um, you know, our former church, old church that we left, um, really pushed that as, as a therapy, I guess, for healing, even from something like, I mean, fear of spiders, like le legitimately like, Hey, we can do EMDR and it'll help you not be so afraid of spiders anymore. Um, and I, I guess I'm just curious, like, so from your perspective, is there ever a place for something like that? Or is that more of, you know, that's something that a Christian doesn't need to partake in and is it neutral? Is it not neutral? What are, what are your thoughts there? Let me address the, just one thing quickly there before we mm -hmm. get into kind of the philosophy behind it, but you said, should a Christian do it or not do it? 
that's a conscience issue and uh i would not do it i you know there's but that's a conscience okay. issue of what type of methodologies you use mm-hmm. uh, i want to build my methodologies right out of the text of scripture so i'm a bible person i want my worldview to be consistent and coherent and as I explained before, of what you view the source of the problem is, then you come up with a solution, and then you come up with methodologies to carry out that solution. And I want my methodologies to be consistent with what I believe the source of the problem is. I don't want to use an inconsistent methodology that doesn't match my belief system. This is a paraphrase, but David Pallison said something like, um, no methodology that has its source in secular, that has secular DNA, will ever get the etiology of the problem correct, the source of the problem correct. So um, I want my methodologies to be consistent with what I see as the problem. Now, the EMDR, listeners need to understand it's hugely popular, but secular people, secular world mocks EMDR. And uh, the APA uh, doesn't even recognize it as they have different tiers of recommended uh, methodologies. And the APA doesn't even recommend it as a level one uh, type of therapy, that it's a level two type of therapy. Uh, They say there's not enough empirical research to demonstrate that it's true. So uh, a lot of researchers, uh, including my researcher friend, and then another psychologist friend, they they think it's snake oil. And the question becomes, okay, what's happening then with people with EMDR? And the debate is, is it actually the eye movement and it's called bilateral stimulation. So is it the eye movement and getting people to use the other side of their brain as the therapist is tapping their finger or whatever uh, they're doing? Is it that, that, with bilateral stimulation, or is it actually association that they're the person's being forced to think about their bad memories and deal with them? And that's where the debate is, is it about the methodology and there's some magical thing that uh, Francine Shapiro found about bilateral stimulation in the brain, or is it actually association and that people are just dealing with their, their memories? Hmm. So there's a lot of controversy with with EMDR, not just biblical counselors, but even out in the secular world. Okay. So it sounds like, I mean, so far my overall takeaway is, you know, when we hear someone make a claim, like the brain gets rewired by trauma and has to be unwired from whatever was done, all these grand claims about the brain are based on obviously observable research, things people have seen, but are not proven to the degree of accuracy and certainty that we can say, you know, all psychologists agree, all researchers agree, all counselors agree that this is the right approach. There is, like you mentioned, psychologies, there are disagreements even, and what has been observed and what is the solution to that observation. Is that correct? That's a very accurate statement. I mean, they write articles against each other on a regular basis. Uh, It is intriguing to me of why has this become so popular 
And why is a book like The Body Keeps the Score? Why has it become so popular? And I think it's because people are trying to make sense of the world. We have shootings almost every day. Mm-hmm. We have domestic abuse has skyrocketed. Suicide ha- is skyrocketing. People are depressed. Pornography is rampant. The world is a mess. People are trying to figure out, why am I so anxious? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And so in our cultural moment, trauma theory has become like the lens. Oh, this is the explanatory lens to make right. sense of our messy world. And why I'm feeling like I'm feeling. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, and like we've already mentioned multiple times, we see trauma in the Bible. We see terrible things and we see those same terrible things today. And also like scripture tells us, nothing is new under the sun. And so really we are just seeing, um, you know, a a history repeat itself in in so many different ways and cultural contexts and moments and um, you know, there's always been sin in the world, but, uh, the devil is crafty and he continues to find ways to distort God's truth and sell people new versions of the same old lies. And now we've got, you know, gender ideology and progressive, you know, um, understanding of, of sexuality in our kindergarten classrooms. And that's leading to all kinds of new things that, that, you know, we just haven't even seen the effect of that yet on, on our culture. And, uh, it's, My view is it's going to get worse. It's going to get a lot worse. And so, um, but I I think what's interesting about what you're saying is essentially our observations keep growing because our science is always, you know, improving our ability to observe things, the the technologies that are available. We are learning more all the time. Um, For instance, like just a non-psychology example of this is that um, when I was pregnant with my second daughter, they, you know, do the 20 week ultrasound where they try to make sure the baby's organs are developing normally and everything. And they saw, they were able to see these, uh, what are called bilateral choreoplexus cysts on her brain. And so they notified me of that and said, you know, she's got these two like cysts and it can be a soft marker for trisomy 18 or down syndrome. So they kind of alerted me to that. But what, I was at a research hospital at the time with my pregnancy. What they failed to tell me was that this is actually a normal part of brain development. And it's just that they usually go away by 32 weeks um, or 34 weeks, but it's a normal part of brain development. They show up, they go away typically. And without that knowledge, you know, the reason they told me, I guess, is because they didn't used to be observable on sonograms with older technology, but now our technology is so much better that we see them earlier. Um, and so without that understanding, you know, I was freaking out thinking, oh my gosh, my baby has this terminal potentially illness where, you know, what am I going to do? And come to find out I, I was, it was kind of unfounded worry because I was just seeing something that had not always been visible to -hmm. doctors. And so with that changing information, what I was told changed, right? It wasn't that reality had changed. It was just what I knew of reality changed. And so, um, or my perception, I guess, of it changed my experience of everything that I was going through. And so I think in in a similar way, we are seeing um, technology expand. And as it does, we see theories <laughs> expound and grow and proliferate, trying to explain what people are observing. And as you have mentioned, those theories do not all agree with one another. 
they are many and varied and very, very far apart from each other in, in um, a lot of ways. And yet there is this narrative that they're the authority. So whatever they say, whatever, you know, rock they hop to next, you better follow them because they're the ones closest to truth, right? Mm -hmm. That's the idea is like, you better stay close behind them because that's where truth is. (laughs) Actually, I, I, yeah, I, again, I, I think I've made the point here, but it's just, we, truth is not changing. Truth is um, rooted in, in what God tells us and, and all that we need for life and godliness is in scripture. It doesn't mean it tells you to take two Tylenol for a headache, but it does mean that we can find our ultimate source of explaining what we see around us, ourselves, the world, sin, evil, you know, hope, healing, all of those like more core foundational things that you are dealing with in trauma counseling setting. Those are able to be, we are able to know truth, um, through God's word and to apply that to the situations around us. Yeah. And that changes brain chemistry. Right. Right. (laughs) Come to find out. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, so yeah. And I love how you just explained why that might be so, uh, I guess why, why we're having a moment with, with uh, a book like body keeps the body keeps the score and, and why that is so powerful for people. And I think you're right because there is a lot of trauma going on and there, there really always has been, but um, it's, it's a moment where people are searching kind of like your description of the Virginia tech shooting. People are wandering around looking for someone to help them explain what they see and why, you know, and, and we all want to know that. We all want to know the why. Why is this happening? Why is it this way? Why am I having panic attacks? Why am I stressed out all the time? Like, what is it? And and any theory that kind of offers us a, a lens is going to kind of momentarily, I think, bring some comfort because it helps us label the thing we're experiencing. Um, but I guess the question is, does that actually, is that, as you described earlier, should that be applied as a methodology for how to really bring about the solution for that thing? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's a lot of theories that are trying to make sense of trauma, but Vander Kolk's is the most popular at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And and tomorrow it'll be something else. And I guess that's the heart behind what I want people to hear is, you know, you can continue to follow the latest research and this and that. And, and it's not that everything they find or discover or say is going to be 100% a lie. It's not but you have to filter them through, as you said, those biblical lenses, or how did you put that? Your Bible seeing glasses? Yeah. Eyeglasses. I like the eyeglasses illustration. Yeah. Right. So, um, what do we have time for here? Uh, did you want to talk about his book at all? Or you you think you're running out of time? Yeah. I, yeah. What are the, I, I guess we didn't even hit on that. Um, what are, what are the main, um, ways that it does not align with a biblical worldview. So uh, Vander Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score, is hugely popular. Listeners probably already know it's sold over 2 million copies. So anytime a book sells 2 million, you better be tuned into it. Mm-hmm. And when I heard that it had sold that many, I I thought, okay, I've got, this is the book, the go-to book. I, I need to read it. I need to digest it. I need to analyze it. And uh, so I don't forget, there are a lot of people analyzing it. It's become so popular, it cannot be ignored. 
So researchers are analyzing it now, are writing critiques of it. That didn't happen when it first came out. You know, the researchers just kind of thought, oh, it's just kind of a book that'll go away. But there is a, a relatively new book by a, a psychiatrist, a physician named Michael Sheringa, and he analyzes the scientific data in The Body Keeps the Score. And he uh, one of his tweets recently was, I knew when analyzing the book, this is a paraphrase, I knew when analyzing the book, it would be bad, but I didn't think it would be this bad. And so there are quite a few people that are thinking through what Vanderkolk is claiming. It's a well-written book. It has lots of stories of real people. But like anything, you, you have to think. You have to think biblically as Christians. What is being taught here? What's the theory behind this? Evolutionary theory, and I don't know where your listeners are on evolution, but it's assumed with the book. He doesn't have a Christian worldview, mm -hmm. so evolution is assumed. It's also assumed that we don't have a soul. So it's called a monistic worldview. A monistic worldview is the idea that we're just a single part being. Hmm. You're not body and soul. Well, Vander Kolk doesn't believe that. He believes you're just a body. So how do you explain what's going on? Well, something's wrong in your brain. It's hmm. a monistic worldview. And the research that he explains, here's how my, new, my uh, neuropsychology researcher friend uh, explains the book. He gave me this quote, it's a gross oversimplification of how the brain works. Vander Kolk, in an attempt to make things understandable to the general public, simplifies the complexity of all factors involved in the brain and trauma. So it's a popular level book that was written to be popular. Mm -hmm. And the brain science is much more complicated than he explains yeah, and uh, he's not unified in his all of his methodologies. I listened to an interview of him explaining, well, why do you promote so many different methodologies? And he said, well, it was basically whatever works to help people. Uh, there's so many different personalities, and there's so mm -hmm. many different cultures. So we'll have this eclectic view that we'll use whatever methodology mm -hmm. helps people with their personality and their their culture. So. Uh, Evolution is an issue in the book. You know, they they talk about the primal parts of the brain. Uh, or a, another presentation I listened to recently talked about the reptile portion of the brain. Well, oh. I don't be, I don't believe any of those things. Right. Bibli I ask a doctor. I have a doctor in my men's gr small group that I lead, and I said, "So let me run some ideas by you." the primal part of the brain. And he just laughed. He goes, what? He's a Christian, obviously. He goes, mm -hmm. what's the primal part of the brain? Right. Um, so mm -hmm. please read the book. Mm -hmm. Any book that sells 2 million copies, you ought to read it. And right. think about it. But you have to think. Uh, Christianity of all religions is a thinking religion. Mm -hmm. uh, C.S. Lewis, you know, basically said, a paraphrase again, the, the Bible makes sense of the world. Mm -hmm. And a biblical worldview is going to help me interpret the world around me. But when I read a book like Vanderkolk's, I need to think, okay, this is coming from a worldview. Now, how do I bring every, as Paul says, 
in second Corinthians, how do I bring every thought captive into obedience to Christ? Yeah. And I need to evaluate these worldviews. What's truth? What's theory? And um, so that's right. That would be my little spin on Vander Kolk. Yeah, man. I didn't realize I, it, that makes total sense. I didn't realize he was um, or had a monistic worldview. Uh, and I mean, that alone, that right there, just tell me that one fact. He doesn't believe you have a soul. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So basically I don't need to really listen to anything he says, like read the book so you can be informed. But essentially like any truth he arrives at is going to be over and against his worldview. It's going to be in spite of his worldview. It's not because of. And so I, I just think, That's again, right. you cannot overemphasize the importance of, does this person believe the same things that I know to be true about God? about who I am, how I'm made, whose image I'm made in, what I'm composed of, you know, being both a body and a soul, um, you know, and, and it, it, the dualistic, you know, nature of man, essentially, like, if he rejects a lot of, if he rejects any of those things, I need to put him in a totally different category. My pastor talks about how, you know, the, the, we kind of have three tiers that of, of people we, we learn from in life. And the first tier should obviously not even people, but sources. The first tier is God's word that has the the strongest, um, authority over us. And then the second tier would be, um, uh, those who are Christians, those who hold to a biblical worldview, but they're not perfect. Right. So they're, they're going to be interpreting God's word and applying it and helping you do that, but they certainly are not infallible. And then that third tier is, you know, um, maybe he looked at it differently. He was talking about, so the Bible was over everything and then there was one, two, three. So Christians, and then he, he was talking about like conservative commentators, people like Ben Shapiro, who maybe have a conservative political view, but are not actually Christians. And so that's in a different category. You have to remember not everything Ben Shapiro says is going to be coming from, um, a biblical worldview, even though some things align with one. Right. And then this other category of people who are anti and against. And so we, we need to understand when we're listening to someone, which category are they in? Like all voices are not equal here. And so I think someone like him, he would be in that, you know, third category of people who are against a biblical worldview, who say things that go against God's word. Um, I need to filter everything he says, like a lot more heavily than I would um, someone who's coming from a biblical worldview and is a Christian and is also talking about the brain, right? Um, so yeah, I, I'm concerned if any Christian, I guess, is is looking at this book as gospel truth. Um, and, and I don't know anyone personally who is. Um, is that something that you're coming up against and with your counselees, finding that this this book is like really influencing their thinking? Oh, very much so. Wow. Yeah but they're not being discerning. Here's a quick sentence from the beginning of the book talking about people who have bad behaviors because of their trauma. We, the exact quote, we now know that their behaviors are not the result of moral failings or signs of a lack of willpower or bad character. They are caused by changes, actual changes in the brain. So mor morality has been removed because it's mm -hmm. my brain making me do what mm -hmm. I do. So I'm a substance abuser because, and I'm angry because of what happened to me and mm -hmm. what's going on in my brain. Well, that's not a biblical worldview. No. Or I'm a uh, minor attracted person, AKA pedophile, because of what's happened to me. I'm not culpable for my acts, right? Yeah. Like same argument could be made. Oh, I was, 
you know, that person, let's say someone does get, um, you know, found out for, uh, abusing children and they are, you know, and child porn is found on the computer and they've, they've been, you know, doing this for years and they now use that argument to say, well, I'm not culpable. And we have a judge and a jury who believes that they're not culpable because it was their brain that had been changed by their trauma as a child. And so they aren't locked up. They aren't made to pay for their sins against mankind. What That's where we're headed, essentially. Like that's the world that this kind of thinking creates is one that nobody is guilty of anything. Like sin doesn't even exist because we've all experienced things that quote unquote rewire our brains, right? We can always yeah. come up with an excuse for why I do the things I do and I'm not responsible. Yeah. I mean, in an extreme way, like maybe they would say, well, I don't believe that. But ultimately, that's where you're headed. You can't you can't stop the train once you kind of hop on that track like it's going to go to that extreme. Um, Yeah, that's concerning for sure. So as we're wrapping up, what is your encouragement for those who have endured trauma and need help, need counsel? Well, first of all, I'm sorry. So you know whatever it is whatever your listeners have gone through i'm sorry i i i'm sorry you experienced that and um, i believe that god loves you he has answers for you he wants to help you if you're a follower of jesus christ he wants you he wants to help you get perspective on that uh why did this happen a great book to think about that is called Trusting God Even When Life Hurts uh, by Jerry Bridges. And he wrote that when his wife died from cancer and he wrestles through issues of pain and suffering. So how can there, theologically, we call this theodicy. How can the loving God in any way be involved with evil? And so how could God have been around and is he trustworthy anymore because of this? Uh, you need a guide who knows their theology well, who is compassionate and patient. Uh, if it's a lady listening, you need an older godly woman who knows her Bible well, who's patient and compassionate, and who help can help you think through issues in a godly biblical way. If you don't have that woman, I would refer you to Johnny Erickson Tata, and you know nobody that woman has been through horror in her life and her her website johnny and friends website has wonderful resources for people going through deep pain and suffering there's many videos that she's done about how she processes her pain and and suffering and and then her book if you're a reader her book when god weeps is a theology book about deep pain and suffering. Mm. And I would highly recommend her book, When God Weeps, to help you think through pain and suffering. So the word of God, a godly woman who's mature, who can walk alongside of you. And if you don't have one of those, turn to Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is definitely an older godly woman who's been through deep pain and suffering in her life but she's looking forward to the hope of eternity when she won't have a broken body mm -hmm. uh, anymore. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm sorry for whatever, whoever is listening and whatever they've been through, I'm sorry, but I can assure you that 
God has purposes. He has answers and he wants to help you. Yeah. What about for the the counselor who might be listening, um, who is counseling people with trauma, um, whether that be a Christian counselor, a biblical counselor, or even just um, a friend, a sister, you know, um, someone who's uh, in church, how, how can we be um, a shoulder for people to lean on and encouragement and how can we build them up in truth in those times? We're blessed with lots of good resources right now uh, in the biblical counseling world. And I could just go on and on talking about all the resources. So just to mention a, a couple for counselors to walk through with people, there's a whole series of little booklets done by Shepherd Press called the Help Mini Book Series. And they have all kinds of issues that we address with those. I think we have 52 now. I have two in that series. And then a basic book on biblical counseling is Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul mm-hmm. Tripp. And then mm-hmm. um, the pastor of our church is uh, Heath Lambert, and he wrote a theology of biblical counseling. So if you want to understand the differences in worldview and how we think about the Bible, a theology of biblical counseling, often with trauma, anger is an issue. Like soldiers coming home from combat and they are just full of rage. Uh, David Pallison's book, Good and Angry, is a good resource. Or my friend Robert Jones wrote a book called Uprooting Anger. Uh, identity issues. Am I going to be my DSM label? Mm-hmm. Or am I going to be, I'm in Christ? What does that mean? Uh, Steve Byers wrote a book last year uh, called Who Are You? Or something like that. It's about your identity in Christ. There's just so many good biblical counseling resources that a, a counselor coming alongside of people could use right right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's encouraging. We do live in a time where there's so many people um, creating resources for this stuff, including you. So yeah, thank you for your work in this area and thank you for your time and talking to me about it today. I'm thankful that we could. Yeah, thanks so much. Where can people follow your work, if if at all, online? Is there anywhere that you're, you know, publishing blog articles, anything like that? Uh, I often do podcasts for ACBC. Mm-hmm. I speak a lot for ACBC. Uh, our church website is fbcjacks.com. We have a lot of good videos there. A lot of free resources at fbcjacks. Uh, dot com. I write for Focus on the Family regularly. Uh, we have a, a division of Focus on the Family called the Focused Pastor. And so I write a column for the Focused Pastor on issues related to pastoral ministry. So those are some of the places. Perfect. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I will link to those in the show notes. And thanks for coming on today. Thank you. I'm thankful for what you do. Thanks a lot. Thank you guys for listening to the end of that. I know we went a little long, uh, but man, that was such a rich conversation. And I appreciate so much the wisdom that he brings, the experience that he brings, and just the, uh, you know, the kind of peek into the life of a biblical counselor, someone who is literally in the trenches with people. I mean, you and I relationally are always counseling. Like we mentioned in the episode, we are always giving counsel. And the question is, 
uh, again, like even the ad with ACBC talked about, it, it's not whether you're a counselor, but whether you are a skilled one. And I'm just very thankful there are skilled biblical counselors doing the work that he is um, speaking truth into dark places, into um, traumatized souls, people like those at the shooting and, and so many other situations that he's dealt with and um, and brought wisdom and truth and encouragement to really, like he mentioned, just giving people hope. I mean, isn't that what counseling is about? It is, it is about telling people that they do have hope and then helping them, um, helping them see that and, uh, and, and counsel them through whatever is making them feel hopeless. So um, thankful for that. And again, check out ACBC. Uh, if you are interested in becoming a biblical counselor or getting more training or resources, you can learn more at biblicalcounseling.com. All right. I'll see you guys next week here on Kindled.